Hello and welcome to our second podcast of this third season of OAME Talks. I'm your host, David Petro, and here at OAME Talks, we try to take the voices from the most recent OAME conference and make them more widely available by hosting webinars for our OAME members and having some brief interviews here on the podcast for everyone. This month, we're talking with Chris Sertam from the University of Ottawa and Peter Taylor from Queen's University. They're going to give us a preview of their talk on animations of exponential growth in the secondary classroom. So let's get right to that. Today, we are talking to Peter Taylor and Chris Sertam. Peter and Chris, how are you doing? Oh, good. Thank you. Doing great. Good to hear. Good to hear. Uh, These are crazy times, so it's always good to hear that people are still doing good. I'm going to ask you guys to introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about each of you and and what you do in the math community. Um, So, hi, I'm Chris Sertam, and um, I'm a a professor at the uh, University of Ottawa Faculty of Education in Mathematics Education and a researcher as well as, uh, as somebody who teaches undergraduate courses or courses in the teacher education program, as well as graduate level courses in math education and research. However, I began my career as a secondary school mathematics teacher and, um, and later department head. So I bring that perspective to the table as well. And one of the things I'm really interested in as I do my research is the really the complex task of, of teaching and having to pay attention to student thinking and respond to that thinking and, um, and all those small moves that we make as a teacher. I'll turn it to Peter. Well, I've been coming for a while. I uh, started... Uh my faculty uh, work in uh, as a pure mathematician and then after about 10 years i got interested in mathematical biology so started studying animal behavior that led me to evolutionary game theory which is um pretty interesting stuff actually and so that's fueled most of my career for um for for many years until but I have always been interested in math education. And as, as my kids went through school, I got more and more ideas about um, what they were doing and what maybe I'd like the, them to be more doing in terms of connecting with uh, what mathematics really was. And I, uh, way back in the 70s, I started coming to OAME meetings and I didn't really know all that many high school math teachers, but but that came over the years. Actually, I, I met Chris quite a long time ago when she was a teacher at an OAME meeting. I remember I used to truck around these big workbooks in those days, which I'd give, give out to teachers and with some new kinds of problems in them. And I, I think I met Chris at a table with workbooks on it, talking about those things. Uh, and um, uh, workbooks is perhaps a misnomer because they're full of very rich problems. Uh, maybe I don't understand what a workbook is. <laughs> a workbook problem books. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, a workbook gives people a connotation of filling in the blanks. Oh, and they okay. definitely were not that. Yeah. Okay. Playbooks. <laughs> yeah, that's a better one. Yeah, because play is a big, big part of what we're trying to do now. Get students playing with their concepts and ideas and. Anyway, over the years, the ideas started to form about what kind of curriculum was really needed, both to engage the kids and make them have fun and get them learning and to prepare them for university. And uh, Chris Chris is kind of the perfect 
partner for me to have in that enterprise because we need that at that end of the experience as well. We need the math and we need the math education to uh, kind of get it right and uh, get a good problem and then get a good uh, way of doing the problem in a classroom. Then that's exactly what the teachers need. And so that's what we're doing now. Yeah. And, and for me, I mean, the really interesting thing and the reason we're, we're involved in a research project around this, as well as just interest in sharing these ideas with teachers, is the interesting thing is, so it's one thing to have a problem, but it's another thing of what does this really look like in a classroom? Like, how do we facilitate this type of learning? There's risk taking in terms of the students on the students part. There's risk taking in terms of the teachers part. And also for me is, is how is it that the teacher kind of pays attention to the student thinking so that they know kind of where to go next or what the next step might be or what kind of question that might prompt the student's next step. So quite often the teacher might not know exactly what direction these kinds of problems are going to go. So uh, I, I find that fascinating and I find I learned so much from, from looking at how teachers do this, and they all do it in very different ways, depending on their class and and their own disposition towards these problems. Now, um, you both kind of alluded to the OME. This is the OME Talks podcast. And I'm curious if you can remember, like, what first drew you to the OME in the first place? Well, for me, it was because that's where the teachers were. That's where they went to um, talk to one another and uh, share ideas about how to teach and what to teach. And so that's kind of where I wanted to be. Yeah. For me, I know, I know even as a, when I was in a, in teacher education, like as a uh, prospective teacher, I was very drawn to, in particular at that time, there was an NCTM conference that was nearby that I went to. And, and so that got me involved in professional organizations and OME then would be a natural one. And I still remember the very first time I presented, it was at an OME chapter conference. It was CHAMP. And I was kind of a beginning teacher in presenting some of my ideas. I was so nervous. And I remember there was kind of like a big name presenter sitting in the in the workshop, I was that added to my anxiety to think about what this person thought. Um, but then I was always involved in OME. I was a director at one point, and um, and I kind of coupled that with being involved in NCTM. I think people learn a lot by meeting with other teachers through those kinds of organizations. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I think I went through maybe ten years of my teaching before I was even introduced to the idea of what OME was. Um, and, you know, what a professional organization was. And it, it you know, I, I think back to like how, how much I, almost how much I lost by waiting 10 years to, to start to tapping into this resource. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm envious of teachers who um, were in, got involved early on in their career. That, that, that is uh, something I wish I would have been able to do, but uh, I think I've caught up since then, maybe. Yeah. Well, I also think people have more resources now as well. I mean, I think that it's important to have professional associations because they provide quality resources. But when I began as a teacher, um, there wasn't Twitter and many other things, no social media. So um, it was really through professional organizations that you got to meet other teachers and, and get some neat ideas. Um, however, even in the world of Twitter, we still need them. Yes, we do. 
Now, you know, Peter, you alluded to meeting Chris for the first time. Um, uh, and I'm curious about that because, you know, in the years that I've seen both of you um, at OME, you seem to be coming sort of, I, I, I've seen two different kind of talks from you. Like Peter, I would go to his talks and they would be like these huge, deep, rich problems that you would think were university related, but they, they would always be, always be brought down to a level that that high school students could engage in. And that was fascinating. And Chris, I always saw you as sort of the research side telling, you know, giving us information about uh, the latest on, on what we knew about how kids learned and the, the good ways to teach them. And so how do you, how do you really come together uh, as a, as a, 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 a education fighting duo? <laughs> I, I, I guess we both realized that you need both. You need both points of view and both experiences to um, have a, a good, workable, exciting curriculum. Even as a teacher, I would often use some of Peter's problems, and we would communicate then about some of those. So, I mean, it, it is interesting because quite often in some, in some places, mathematicians and those in, researchers in math education don't necessarily have a strong dialogue. But I think that we do, and I also think that many others in Canada do. And uh, for instance, in the Canadian Math Education Study Group, CMESG, it's comprised of both uh, researchers in mathematics education, as well as university professors in mathematics. So I think we're really quite lucky to be able to have those dialogues. So this really works well, this research project that Peter and I are working on, because it's about uh, he's developing the problems, and then I can help to facilitate the discussion about, but what does this look like in a classroom? Because I think, I think that's actually hard. I think it's easier to think about a more prescriptive kind of, of lesson. And particularly when we're talking about grade 10, 11, and 12 kinds of problems, um, because sometimes those classrooms might tend to look more traditional than, let's say, some of the earlier grades. And, and I think sometimes, uh, especially maybe even in the senior grades, sometimes we, we kind of forget them in terms of professional development, they we feel like kind of they're on their own, and I sometimes I feel like they're they're just they're not getting enough attention, uh, and maybe that is why they look more traditional. But I, I I wonder what the reason is for that, or maybe I'm mistaken in that in that view. Well, actually, I think that leads nicely into the subject of our talk because uh, both Chris and I have felt for quite a long time that. You know, in math education, there's all this idea about inquiry and play and sharing and coming up with uh, new strategies. But it turns out that it's a lot harder to do that with the classic sort of function stuff around grade 11 and 12. Uh, somehow, and NCTM has pointed this out, somehow in grade 11 and 12, we kind of lose our way in terms of uh, what math education should really be like. And we focus really on, oh, let's get the kids ready for university. So the kinds of problems that uh, we'd like to see are actually in short supply in grade 11 and 12, which is why for the past couple of years, we've been uh, focusing a lot of our energy on those two grades. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so so we, we can talk a little bit about your your talk. I mean, that's why we're here. I mean, the title intrigues me already, Animations of Exponential Growth in the Secondary Classroom. 
Uh, I like the idea of animations because I think mean, that that seems dynamic to me. But I'm I'm curious about why you chose that topic. There are a few reasons, maybe. Exponential growth is a key idea these days, as everybody who listens to the news now knows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. We've we've all become experts on exponential <laughs> growth and the and mathematical modeling. That's right. <laughs> that's become yeah. a familiar phrase and, to people, and that's really part of it. And in many ways, of all the functions that we study in university mathematics, the exponential function is the most significant. Um, it, it's basic. It combines addition and multiplication together, the two fundamental processes. And you really need to understand how it works and where it comes from. And I find my first-year students don't often understand what it's all about at all. They just think of it as fast growth, you know. And one problem is it's really hard to get your hands on the, on ec- what exponential growth looks like uh, so that you can actually play with it and, um, and, and run variations on it and see what you get. And one way, and so you need concrete objects to play with. And you can do it with dice or with counters, but, but there's only so far you can go because it, exponential growth is really fast and exponential decay is really fast too and you're left with nothing. So we, we built these animations which allow you to sort of see and experience an exponentially grow, growing or decaying population. And by watching these animations and then being asked to actually reduce them to their component parts and build models for them, well, that's fundamental mathematical activity. And so that's the kind of thing we want to do for our session. Yeah, and as well as talk about, so how do we use those problems in class? So it's, um, and they're great problems. And I I think that they could even be used in grade 10. So, you know, it's not restrictive to grade 11 and 12. I think that students, you know, with a really good problem, you can approach these problems with students in many different grades. You just approach them differently and they might be examining them using kind of a different, a different set of tools. Um, But um, I think these are the kinds of problems um, that will engage students. And the other thing that I think is beneficial is, is, you know, so often we say, well, perhaps teachers in grade 11 are preparing students for university. That's why I think it's kind of important that that a university professor is talking about, um, well, these are the kinds of things that, that we actually need students to be able to do in university. So we kind of have that perspective as well. I think that's uh, an important feature. And, and I have to say that, you know, uh, I have always appreciated both of you, you know, coming from the university side and, um, you know, communicating in ways that are, that make a lot of sense to us in, in secondary school. I think that that dialogue is, is really important because we do hear a lot, you know, of teachers saying I'm preparing for universities, but I don't know that a lot of those teachers have had those conversations with university professors and, and to have this sort of dialogue, you know, uh, readily uh, between us, I think is very, very useful in, in, you know, building those bridges and knocking down those barriers um, of, of knowing what is truly needed for, for students to be ready for university. 
Yeah, and I think quite often people think about the university that they went to or the university experience they had. And just as secondary school teachers are kind of changing different ways that they think about things or teach or assess, um, I know I've had lots of conversations with math professors at university um, who are looking at formative assessment, who are using portfolio assessment, who are thinking about doing conferencing with students about their solutions to problems. So um, I think it surprises people when I share those ideas that these things that we're doing in secondary school are also happening, not everywhere, but are happening um, at universities as well, that they're developing new ways of thinking about things. Okay, so I don't want to hold you guys too long today, but I'm curious. So what do you think the main takeaways that teachers will come out of your session with? Let me say one thing about that, which refers to Chris's comment that we could use this problem in grade 12, 11, even in 10, and actually I can use it in first year university. That's an aspect of now what's called low floor, high ceiling. And we're really very interested in developing those kinds of problems. And a recent interest of mine is in the, uh, the whole de-streaming idea uh, in particular at the grade nine level now. And I think the key to having a successful heterogeneous classroom is in this idea of low floor, high ceiling, where kids can play with the, a problem and interact with one another at, at different levels. And every, everyone kind of gets something. So, so this is a really interesting uh, field of inquiry and work that I think is becoming more and more important. And I think people will walk away with a couple of new problems and different ways of thinking about um, how to approach them. You know, and I think, you know, as a, as a teacher that I've always appreciated coming away with, with problems that I could use in class, but I, I think more important to, to that, I mean, there are problems out there, but I, I really like you know, Peter, what you were saying about play, you know, I, I like to use the word tinker. I like to have my, my kids tinker with things, you know, I mean, that's, to me, that's the scientific method. That's, you know, you know, you know, try stuff out, make some mistakes, see what happens, try this, yeah. change a little thing, do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. the more we can do that in our math class, the more we can keep that scientific thinking uh, with our students from grade one, I mean, we, we get them in grade one and they're so, uh, they have such an in- inquiring mind and somehow we we beat that out of them along the way uh, when we put them in rows and give them nice tests to write. Because I think, you know, having them play, that can be messy. And uh, and, I, and I think the more we, we can keep them playing throughout the years and all the way into grade 12 and into university, I think that only is a benefit to students. Uh, so I totally appreciate that you are going to keep that going and, and that you're going to bring that, that idea to these, this, uh, uh, these animations with exponential growth. Uh, and we're going to uh, hear you guys speak on this on, uh, in two weeks on the second Wednesday of November, on November 11th. And uh, so we appreciate you coming out tonight to talk to us a little bit about that. And we encourage everyone to sign up for your webinar. Uh, Peter and Chris, thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. Thank you, David. That was a, a fun time.
That was Chris Sertam and Peter Taylor talking about the idea of play when looking at exponential growth in the senior math classes. OME members can sign up right now for their full webinar on that topic, which will take place at 8 p.m. on November 11th. You can go to talks.oeme.on.ca for more information or register right on our OAME MCIS website. There are links in the description. Next month, we'll be talking with Peter Vanderberg from the University of Waterloo as he takes us on some adventures with problem solving. So stay tuned for that and stay safe.